Welcome to this episode of the New Life Christian Fellowship Podcast. Here is your host, Pastor Eric Stillman. So this morning I am beginning a new sermon series entitled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. And the title, Lord, Teach Us to Pray, comes from Luke chapter 11, verse 1, where it reads this, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Evidently, there was something about the way Jesus was praying that made the disciples say, I want what you have. Teach me whatever it is that you know about communicating with God. And I'm not sure what prayer means to you. We all come from different places when it comes to prayer. For some of you, it means bow your heads and close your eyes. Some mean it's, some may, it may mean trying to stay awake. Some might think it means loud and noisy shouting. For some of you, it may mean crying out in a time of need or repeating familiar lines over and over to God. For some, prayer feels like a waste of time or like talking to the ceiling. And for some, it's just a mystery. Whatever your perspective, I don't think there's few things more important in this world than learning how to pray, how to communicate to God. And so we want to come to the Lord this morning and ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And we're going to look at this not only today, but over the next several weeks. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells his listeners what prayer is and how to pray. And I'm going to use that as my basis over the next few weeks to study this passage so that we can learn how to pray well. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 13. Jesus said this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans who think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let me pray before we continue. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to learn how to pray as we come to you and, and consider this passage and the words that you shared. Please teach us how to pray. Give us an open heart and open ears to hear and understand and apply this to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew 6, Jesus gives two examples of how not to pray, and then he goes into how to pray. He says, don't pray to be seen, like, to be seen by men, and he tells them not to keep on babbling like the pagans. And so I want to look at three things that we learned from this passage about what it means to pray and how we pray, paying particular attention to that first line, our Father in heaven. So the first thing we see from this passage is that prayer is communication with God. At its most basic, prayer is communication with God. He says again, Matthew 6, 5 through 6, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So again, prayer is communication with God, and that might sound basic, but apparently according to Jesus in this passage, it wasn't basic. He says prayer is not a show for others. 
is don't be like those hypocrites, those religious leaders who pray in order to be seen by other people. They think it's a show, a way to win the approval and the acclaim of others. He says, no, go into your room and close the door where there's no one but you and God and pray to him there. He calls them hypocrites, which was the Greek word for actors. In other words, they're playing a part. They're trying to be someone that they're not, just like an actor on a stage. They're pretending to be religious and spiritual when in private they're not that way at all. So he says, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father, which raises the question, what's your private prayer life like? What is your prayer life when no one is around? What is your relationship with God like when no one is watching you? As Robert Murray McShane put it, he said, what a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. He's trying to say the same thing that Jesus said there. It's not about the show. It's not about how you appear before others. It's about you alone with God. How is your private prayer life? Because prayer is communication with God. Even if we pray in public, it should be like people eavesdropping on us as we are talking to God. It's not a show for others. So that's the first thing we learned from this passage, that prayer is communication with God. It's not meant to be a show for others. Particularly, it should be something that we do with God alone between us and him. Secondly, prayer is not a technique or a magic formula. It's not a technique. It's not a magic formula. Matthew 6, 7 through 9, Jesus said, When you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. Prayer is not a technique. It is not a magic formula. It's not a transactional relationship like God is the heavenly ATM and we come and we say the magic words and he spits out whatever answer is we're looking for in return. It's not a magic incantation like the law of attraction where you throw things out into the universe and the universe sends things your way. Jesus says, you're not going to be heard because of your many words babbling like pagans, your vain repetitions as the King James puts it. That's not why God hears you. That's not why God answers your prayer because you say many words. The power of prayer, in other words, is not in the words that you speak or the order in which you say them. The power of prayer is in God. It's in the relationship we have with God. It's not about the words. It's not about magic words and a special formula. In fact, that's the irony of the Lord's prayer as I see it. The irony of the Lord's prayer is that the Lord's prayer has been turned into this magic formula by some people where they think that there's special power in those words that if we just say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come, they will be done on earth and heaven, you know, like that, that somehow that is meaningful. But I don't think it's about babbling those words like pagans. It's not the magic formula. Jesus here in the Lord's Prayer gives us a model by which to pray that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. It's not something that's so special about those words that you say those words. And it's a magic formula that unlocks the power of God. So please beware of teachers and preachers who try to sell prayer like it's some magic formula. That if you just find these magic words and say it this way, it unlocks the power of God. It makes me think of one example in particular. Some of you may remember this book called The Prayer of Jabez where he said, Bruce Wilkinson, Bruce Wilkinson wrote this, I want to teach you how to pray a daring prayer that God always answers. It is brief, only one sentence with four parts and tucked away in the Bible, but I believe it contains the key to a life 
of extraordinary favor with God. What is he doing there? He's saying the power is in the words. The power is in this magic formula that God always answers. It's not in our relationship with God that anyone can just pray the prayer of Jabez. But that's not true. Prayer is not about a magic formula. It's simply communication with God from our heart to his. It's about the relationship with him. Brian Fearon, some of you may remember who used to attend our church before he passed away. He used to be fond of saying sometimes the shortest prayer is just God. And that's it. It's just our heart to him crying out. Sometimes all you can do is just yell help or say thank you. And that's enough. It's, it's a genuine cry from our heart to his. That's where the power is. The power is in our relationship with him. Just talk to God as if he were there. Even Jesus says, pray to your father who is unseen. Even though you can't see him, he is there. Pray to him. You don't need to use some pious preacher voice or speak in some formulaic way. Just pray and speak to God. One of my favorite and most memorable stories of prayer was from a, a devotional book called Streams in the Desert. And the August 17th entry goes like this. Let me read it to you. I went to America some years ago with the captain of a steamer who was a very devoted Christian. When off the coast of Newfoundland, he said to me, the last time I crossed here five weeks ago, something happened which revolutionized the whole of my Christian life. We had George Mueller of Bristol on board. I had been on the bridge 24 hours and never left it. George Mueller came to me and said, Captain, I have come to tell you that I must be in Quebec Saturday afternoon. It is impossible, I said. Very well, if your ship cannot take me, God will find some other way. I have never broken an engagement for 57 years. Let us go down into the chart room and pray. I looked at that man of God and thought to myself, what lunatic asylum can that man have come from? I have never heard of such a thing as this. Mr. Mueller, I said, do you know how dense this fog is? No, he replied. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. He knelt down and prayed one of the most simplest prayers. And when he had finished, I was going to pray, but he put his hand on my shoulder and told me not to pray. First, you do not believe he will answer. And second, I believe he has. And there is no need whatever for you to pray about it. I looked at him and he said, Captain, I have known my Lord for 57 years and there has never been a single day that I have failed to get audience with the king. Get up, Captain, and open the door and you will find the fog gone. I got up and the fog was indeed gone. On Saturday afternoon, George Mueller was in Quebec for his engagement. If you have no idea who George Mueller is, you would do well to learn more about his life. Uh, but the amazing thing about the story that I love is how he talks about it being the simplest of prayers. That it was not some magic formula where the power lie. It was in George Mueller's relationship with his father. And when the other captain felt like he should pray, George Mueller said, don't bother. You don't believe, and I already believe he's answered. That's the kind of power in prayer that I want and that I want for us that the power of God is not in some magic formula. The power of prayer is not in a technique or a magic formula. It is in a relationship with God. I know personally my conversion back when I was 18 years old, part of the reason this happened for me was that I started to talk to God on the way to and from work. Five minutes there, five minutes back, I started to talk to God as if he were real. 
to just talk to him about my life, my day, my needs, all of these things. And it was through that that he eventually revealed himself to me and answered prayer. God is not a heavenly ATM. There's no magic formula. Just go to him and talk. Third thing that Jesus teaches us in this passage is that prayer involves both intimacy and reverence. In verses 9 and 10, he says this, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Look at the terms he uses there. Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come. At the same time, Jesus says, we approach him as our Father with that level of relationship and intimacy and as the King, your kingdom come. The King of heaven, the intimacy and the reverence at the same time that we can come to the God of the universe, recognizing first and foremost that he is the king of all, the king of heaven, the Lord of all, the creator, that we do not walk into his presence like he's our heavenly buddy, like we're on equal ground with him. We're talking to someone who is high above us, who could destroy us in a second if he wished to. We cannot demand things of him. We cannot claim things that he has not promised. It is about his kingdom and his will. We come with reverence. But, he says, the amazing thing is, we also come with intimacy. We come to him as our father. I mean, we might be so used to calling God our father as Christians that we don't see how revolutionary it really is. There was a German theologian named Joachim Jeremias, and he studied the use of the term father in Judaism. And he found that there was no examples of someone in Judaism addressing God as father in either the Old Testament writings or the rabbinic writings until the 10th century AD. The Jews did not call God father. Muslims do not call God father. They address him as Lord, but they would never think of calling God father. But Jesus, even though there's no examples in the Old Testament of any Jew calling God father, that is how he refers to God and every time he prays to him. Consider John 5, 17 to 18. Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. See, the Pharisees understood that by calling God his father, that he was claiming some level of equality with God. That's what they thought. So they wanted him killed. But the incredible thing is that this side of Jesus' death and resurrection, that we can come to God as Father with that level of intimacy. I want to just share four things about why it's so important that we can come to God as our Father. The first is this, that we can relate to God as, our, as his beloved child. We can come to God as his beloved child. Some people might believe that everyone is God's child, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we're all God's creatures, we're all God's creation, but we're not all God's children. But when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are adopted as his beloved children. Ephesians 1, 4 to 5, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Don't get thrown by that language of sons. Uh, it's just reflecting in those days that sonship, the, the heir was the son and everything the father had went to the son. We've all been adopted as his children, as his beloved children. And so now we can come to him with that level of intimacy. Romans 8, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, 
but you receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. We cry, Abba, Father. It's a familiar term, like Daddy, Papa. It says that is the level of intimacy we have with the God of the universe because of Jesus. It's always important to remember when we come to Jesus that there are three main things that happen. There's justification, which is God as the judge, where we're pronounced not guilty. Our sins are forgiven, that we're pronounced not guilty before a holy God, that there's regeneration, that he gives us a new heart, a new spirit. That's God as a surgeon replacing our old heart with a new heart, with a Holy Spirit so we can respond to him and know him. But then thirdly, adoption. When we come to faith in Jesus, he adopts us. That's God as father, that we're brought into God's family with all the rights of a child. And then the words that the father spoke over the son when he was being baptized are true of us. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are my child whom I love and whom I am well pleased. I don't know what your relationship is like with your earthly father or was like, but this is your heavenly father who says to you, you are my child whom I love and whom I am well pleased How incredible is it that that is the relationship that we enjoy with the God of the universe, that we can call him Father with that level of intimacy. Second reason it's so important that God is our Father is that we have a heavenly inheritance. I already alluded to that, that we are heirs. Romans 8, 15 to 18, we just read this passage. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We are heirs of whatever God's inheritance is kept in heaven for us, it says in 1 Peter. And I don't know what all that means. I've never been to heaven. But he says, no matter what you go through in this life, it does not compare with the glory, with the inheritance that the Father has for you for eternity. Galatians chapter four, Paul says, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Everything that belongs to the Father is ours. Everything that is his is ours. We are heirs. We have an inheritance kept in heaven for us. The promises, the riches, the glory, all of it will be ours forever. The third reason it is important to know that God is our Father, what this means for us when it comes to our prayer life, is this. We have many brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice that it says our Father. It's not just my Father, it's our Father. Matthew 12, Jesus said, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. And someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And throughout the New Testament, we're encouraged to see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ not just other people who happen to come to the same church as you. They are now family. 
you are adopted by your father and they have also been adopted and now they are your brothers and sisters. And so when we pray our father in heaven and we say, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts. Notice the plural there. It's not just about me. It's not just about my daily bread and my sins. It's about us. We pray for our brothers and sisters. Take care of my brothers and sisters. Provide what they need. Forgive them. Lead them not into temptation. Prayer is not just about our relationship with God. It's about praying for our brothers and sisters. The fourth, final thing I want to say about the significance of the Father God is this, that we bring honor to our Father as we imitate him. We bring honor to our Father as we imitate him. Just like a child and how they behave reflects upon their parents and their family and their name. As children of God, we can bring honor and glory or we can bring shame upon God by our behavior. As representatives of our Father, as children of our Father, the way we act reflects on him. Ephesians chapter 5, 1 through 2, Paul says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Notice he says, imitate God and how he loves. First Peter 1, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Be holy means be set apart, be different. Don't be like the world. Be like your father. Live in love like him, in holiness like him. And Matthew 5, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. That's Jesus saying again, the way that you act, the way that you love, the way that you live reflects upon God. If you carry his name, if you call yourself a Christian, a child of God, that how you live reflects upon him. And so the encouragement as we come to the Father and say, our Father, that we would bring him glory by the way we act, that we would ask him to help us to honor him by the way we live. So summing this up, Jesus teaches us that prayer is not a show for others. It's not about using magic formulas or techniques. At its heart, prayer is simply communication with our Father. It's sharing our heart with his heart. We come to him not because of the words that we use. That's not what gains us an access to his hearing. It's because Jesus died on the cross in our place, forgave us our sins. We're justified, we're regenerated, we're adopted. Now we can come to our Father in Christ. We can come to him as beloved children. He hears us because of Jesus, because we come in Jesus' name. I want to end with this passage from Hebrews chapter 4, and then encourage you to come to the Lord in prayer. Let's read this together. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may find, receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Who can approach the throne of the king with confidence? A child, the king's son, the king's daughter. 
can come to the king with confidence. And so I encourage you now, we're going to respond and worship in a second, but take a minute in silence between you and the Lord and come to him as your father, sharing your heart with him, asking him for what it is that you need. Amen. Thank you for listening to the New Life Christian Fellowship Podcast. We are located at 1155 Silas Dean Highway in Weathersfield, Connecticut, and can be found online at newlife-ct.org. No redistribution or use of any kind of this recording is allowed without express written consent of New Life Christian Fellowship. 